welcome to Killer Serials. This is Tony Jones. This is Ryan Parker. And we are talking about Rectify 405, man. We're just bringing this plane in for a landing. It's crazy, and Tony. Who, there's three episodes yeah. left. Bananas. Hard, hard to believe. Speaking of bananas, how about pineapples? <laughs> Fine. In paradise. Yeah. yeah. Special guest. Back again. Third time's the charm. Hey, we're, yeah, Scott Teams, welcome you, both the writer and director on this episode. We're, we're totally thrilled that you would join us again. Yeah. Because, thanks. man, there's, there's a lot you have to crack open for us here, brother. It's, uh, yeah, man, I was, I was, uh, I revisited this episode and I was like, oh, wow, things are, there's a lot going on. Uh, you forget, but then things, when you're, when you're coming in, like you said, toward the end here and uh you realize things have to happen and i was um sort of shocked at how much happened in this episode uh, <laughs> yeah that, that's what, well, actually actually one of my things okay one, one of the things I, I wanted to ask about is um we can get to the you know the directing aspect of your role on this episode but in the writer's room which is of course taking place you know what months before the shooting do yeah. you know season four is the end do you know that 408 is the last episode so you're so when yes. you're sitting down to write 405 you are thinking like how do we bring this plane in for a landing for sure and that's that's um and that is a very rare thing in tv um we knew so between three and four ray you know, negotiated that this would be the last season. Um, and so th it was announced prior to our, we, us, us starting the season and, and we knew it. And um, so that was allowed us the privilege that not many shows get, which is to dictate your own ending. And, and so uh, we knew very from the beginning of planning for that this was going to be our last season. So we were and uh, we were aiming the whole time to try to to try to bring it home. Scott, I had a big picture question that I think may help guide some of the other questions um, as we think about some of the relationships and all the things that have happened in this episode. What, Tony and I were talking about it last week. There's really not been a whole lot of real time that's passed in the narrative from Daniel being right. released from prison to <clears throat> uh, his you know, being kind of banished to Nashville. Yeah. Are we, it's like less than a year, right? Yeah. 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 I think so. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's hard to know. I mean, the biggest jump is between three and four. Um, yeah. You know, when, when a few months had passed and, um, but uh, I, I can't recall if we ever, designated like actual time i'm sure, sure. we did at some point like yeah. we said this is exactly how much time but i knew certainly a few months you know as we wanted to get into is a you know to really deal with daniel's with the bigger deeper issues we had to sort of skip through the the like let's introduce you to nashville let's go get you a job let's do all this stuff and sort of just enter in already having gotten through those initial things and so that we could dig deeper into daniel's psyche and his uh, emotional mental well-being and journey 
you know, through this season. So um, that was a big part of the reason we did that big jump. Mm-hmm. And then to see what life was like without him and Polly, because, you know, you had to, as soon as he leaves, of course, you're still having the lingering effects of, of that for probably several weeks after. So it was sort of freeing to, and as you know, we know we did the, you know, the beginning of four, we did one episode. The first episode was all with mm-hmm. Daniel. And then the second was all. So that was just an interesting way to explore uh, with a finer point, I suppose, um, the separation of these, of these folks and, 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 and the, the starting of new lives. Yeah. I think their proximity to one another physically, emotionally, and where they are in physical space, uh, does a lot for the show time. I, I didn't mm-hmm. ask that because I think time does a lot, I think, but, it, but one of the things I think it's done for, some of the conversations that Tony and I've had about maybe, you know, expressing frustration with a particular character or mm-hmm. the choices they make or why they, why they just feel stuck. I think Tony's even referred to a couple of characters being stuck. And, you know, I'm just mindful of my feelings in relation to the show is that if we think about what somebody would go through like this, they're not saying stuck may not be completely fair because not that much time has passed. They're still reckoning with whatever, whatever has happened in this relatively short window of time. So for example, Janet, you know, we've reached the point in the series where I just want to hug Janet, you know, (laughs) and tell her it's going to be okay. And then secondly, I want to say, maybe you should go see Rebecca for some, (laughs) for some therapy. Yeah. But, but she's also still so fresh for her. Like I, I, even in COVID, I I know my, I live away from my mother and my mother's expressed Mm. multiple times. I just want to fly out and see you. Yeah. Um, because there's that uncertainty yeah. of when will we see each other again. So it, it's really interesting to watch this, uh, the separate physical separation between Janet and Daniel all over again. He's not in prison. He's been banished, mm-hmm. but she's, it's kind of reopening all these things in her that, um, it's, it's really yeah. tough. You feel for her. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> and you know, the time is interesting. I think there's an, interesting phenomenon that happened in with this show is that it's sort of the reverse of what you often experience in film and television in feature films, particularly like you'll do massive time jumps for the audience. It's been five minutes for the characters. It's been five years. It's hard sometimes to track that emotionally when you're watching a movie to, to feel that their separation or their loss, because it was just five minutes ago when you were with that character this is sort of the opposite or the inverse of that, which is what we have this very finite and compressed amount of time for the characters, but the audience is experiencing it over four years of real time. And so it's actually a way to sort of expand time. And that's thematically relevant and resonant with the show itself. And obviously from the very beginning, Daniel's talking about time and the idea of time inside of this prison. And I think what we were able to do is, um, expand time by keeping you know we're compressing it to a relative small amount of time in the characters lives but it's over four years in an audience's life so that allow it so it's interesting phenomenon that it wasn't planned but it was sort of what was well i think it was definitely was planned i mean with the first season obviously being seven days or six days you know and and six episodes and, you know, they're very purposefully dealing with time, um, in a, in a, in a, in a way that, um, uh, more directly or, or, 
just in a way that's not TV doesn't often do, you know, TV likes to manipulate time and our, our pastime or whatever. And we did that too here, but in different, different ways to serve character and theme and emotion. And, um, you know, you really let you get inside these characters, psyches in a, in a way that you don't normally get to. I think that's what we like so much about the first season, especially with the way it, it dealt in real time, so to speak. And I got, I know Tony's probably going to jump in with another question, but I had one more related to time because as Tony was talking about a second ago, Mm -hmm. knowing that you're entering into your final season and being able to, to craft the narrative, so to speak, that, that Mm -hmm. may or may not wrap this up. We don't know. Like we, we've always said we're, we're kind of along for the ride, but you start to think about the future of these characters. And that's a big theme in these last, this past couple episodes we've watched, especially in relation to what the family's going to do with the store, yeah, John's continuing pursuit of justice, and you know Dan, what what's Daniel going to do? All these things. How do you? How did you think about that approaching this episode, contributing to that sense of all right, mm-hmm. we're we're writing, being faithful to the characters in the story, but we also know that there are people watching this, and we need to leave it with. Are you trying to leave it with the sense of? It can be open ended, but we can envision a future as an audience, or we're going to close. Just how do you think about future when you're at an ending, so to speak? <clears throat> yeah, I th- it's hard. I don't know. We, we were definitely just feeling our way through it, and and that's what we spent most of our time doing. Uh, with each subsequent season, Ray would negotiate a little more time in the writers' room. Uh, time is. I think a lot of times networks, studios, whoever's paying for your show, you know, they, they, they want you to get through the room as quickly as possible. And so they can save money and they're not paying, but it's really, that's where the work is. That's where, that's where all the, the, the foundations are set is that time in the room. And you need those days to be able to just sit around and, and dream a little bit and think about what are the possibilities and explore dead ends and alternate routes, you know, that, that may become dead ends. They may become, they may lead you to where you wanted to go. You never knew you would be, you know, and, and that, that's how things like the trip to Florida in season through two or two, I guess, uh, that, that came about just through those kind of things, just uh, through just dreaming and just sitting back and say, you know, like, what would this guy do in this situation? And you need that time. And, in the room. And so we would often just sort of stumble our way into ideas or have to explore, you know, different possibilities. There were certainly storylines that we knew needed resolution. Teddy and Tawny, for example, you know, it's sort of like when, 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 when one idea has been a, a one sort of story has been so predominant throughout the, the, uh, the whole series, in a story that could have a resolution, you know, Teddy and Tawny, will they or will they not get divorced? Right. So that, that's a question that's been lingering for a long time. And that's one you can actually answer. You know, can you ever answer, uh, you know, can you ever answer like what will happen like to Daniel's long term mental health? I mean, who, that's a that's a question that we wrestle with the whole time, you know, but like, yeah. There's there's certain things we felt like we owed the audience to resolve Teddy and Tawny, one way or the other. 
And we spent our time exploring what are the options, the possibilities. And in this episode, we we get to the end of that story, right? And so, or an end, you know, and a point at least, some sort of resolve or resolution. And so it's just a matter of finding which stories we felt really needed more um, sort of overt resolution, you know, and which ones we could continue to explore or you know and um it's tricky you know it's tricky you don't you kind of feel your way through it and just uh hope that you land on something that everyone's excited about that you're but more importantly that that we're we feel good about and we feel as honest and true to these uh characters experiences scott i want to ask you another uh, meta question that's maybe unanswerable but it's been interesting for me and you know ryan and i both have you know our amateur like uh guys who are constantly pitching ideas for tv shows mm-hmm. and movies none <laughs> of which has yet <laughs> been made a reality but constantly thinking about this pitching and uh how you frame something up when you're trying to sell it and so it's interesting to me as we've gotten deeper into this show i've had a harder time answering the question what is rectify about what is this show about because it's not at first it was like oh it's about a guy who gets off of death row i mean that opening kind of iconic sequence of you know the the press conference outside of the prison or even the opening sequence of like him getting strip searched or whatever Mm -hmm. and that as as he's preparing to leave and then coming out he's wearing awkwardly wearing a necktie and gets in it's it's scenes we've seen a hundred times from people who get out of prison and then the longer the show goes you're like it's not really is it even really about daniel you know like that yeah all these other characters so i'm just wondering did you get notes from the studio did you get pushback like you guys what is this what is Rectify really about? Like, y- give us more Daniel or, you know, make m- make something else dramatic happen or something like that. Or were you guys given, the writers, you know, given much more latitude to take it wherever you wanted? Yeah, it's definitely the latter. I mean, okay. um, I, I, and that's, again, of extremely unique Scenario. Yeah, I was going to say, like, if you think yeah. if you would have been at another network, you would have gotten yes. more notes and the show would have gone a different direction? Without question. Okay. Um, and that's a product of a very specific thing, which is that Rectify was the first show on Sundance. It mm-hmm. was their first drama. I believe it was their first. And so it became, and because it was, it was their first, I believe, and if, but definitely their first critical success. And the show, by this point, season four, uh, I mean, we'd won a Peabody Award, I think, already by this point. We had had incredible success amongst critics. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody watched the show <laughs> but at that point. That was pre-Netflix. Yeah. It wasn't on Netflix, which is Netflix is where the show has been discovered, really. Yeah. But we were consistently, but no one even knew they had Sundance TV. No one even knew they had, the, no, no one could know how to find it. You know, I get that question all the time. Um, so, but all that to say, because of the unique circumstances, the first show, a critical, critical success, their flagship show, basically, they 
that's why they allowed us to end when we wanted to, when Ray wanted to, and they allowed us to do whatever we wanted to, basically. They would come in. You know, what, what happens in TV is you go to the room, you start your room up about a month or six weeks or two months into the room, depending. Um, you have what they call a pitch out, which is when the network or studio executives come to the room and the writers pitch the season to the executives. Now, often this is a very, for bigger shows, bigger networks, it's a very like detailed thing where you mm-hmm. spend the day doing it. Like you really have to show them every, like all the episodes and the story lines and the arcs and be very specific depending on the show. Um, you know, they would come in to the room and half the time we didn't have, we had, we spent the first month just sort of dreaming about big ideas and we hadn't landed on anything yet. Sometimes they'd come in, but what usually happened was Ray in between seasons would have written the first episode of the next season. He usually did that. And so he would just sort of, you know, a couple of months after we wrapped the previous season, he would, you know, get refreshed, take some time off. And then he would just start dreaming and he would write pages and he would send them to me and Coleman and whoever and Kate. And, you know, we would start reading and then he'd have a script when we started the second season, the next season, usually we'd have like an, a, a first script that he had thought of that he might change, but that's where we a jumping off point. And the uh, network would come in and, and instead of just pitching out the season, Ray would just read the script and he's an actor. Mm. So he mm-hmm. is, he would do this brilliant. I mean, it's like a one man show and just watch him read these scenes and the execs would just love it and they would get it and they would understand i remember i remember he read this first episode of season four and it was all these wonderful scenes of daniel and in the home and at work and and then we would just sort of say we're thinking about this and we're thinking daniel might meet a girl and we're thinking about janet and ted we're thinking about ted and tawny and we're thinking about this and we would just sort of but again and they would just say okay great and they trusted us Mm. you know we had had we had proven we had success and um we could do it well and they trusted ray and but Mm -hmm. again that was the unique position of of where the show was, you know. Well, then let let me ask you. Maybe, maybe you can, <laughs> and you can, you can, you pat, you can, you know, take a pass on this question. But what, what is, it, is what the is show about? about? <laughs> what's the show about? Like, what's what's your elevator speech that oh, you explain maybe. when somebody said, "What's well, I've never seen Rectify. What's it about?" Oh, it's still definitely. I mean, I think. I mean. It's definitely about a guy who gets off death row and mm-hmm. and has to and try has to and how that affects everyone in his life and how yeah. he tries to reacclimate himself into the world. It's definitely about that. I mean, it's definitely still about that. These are all the reverberations of him getting out and yeah. just playing that thing out. I think it's still that's the beautiful thing of it. Is it is it from those from that pebble in the water and those ripple ripples that go out like we see these other lives build and change and evolve and collapse and but it's i think it all goes back to that that central event um you know and so um 
uh, it definitely hasn't as much as it's we don't talk as much as the, the the actual legal part of it is as receded into the background uh, as it goes through it's still you know that's still the central event of the show and that mm-hmm. is released from prison and i still think it's about that so it's 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 an easy hook you know yeah i, I mean i i do the the more i think about it i i think of it kind of like a solar system like he's the gravitational center of this family and all these others who are in orbit around him are you know in some ways well what i one of the things i love about season four is when he leaves town it really unshackles everybody else in in the whole family system you know Mm -hmm. it it allows teddy and tawny to make that decision about whether they're going to stay together or not. It shows the mm-hmm. cracks in the relationship between Ted and Janet, you know, Jarrett even his little minor role is he's kind of, he's selling his Furbies and like kind of moving on. Amantha is like a much more, you, well, you remember how much I didn't like Amantha in the right. early seasons when we talked about that. She's like sure. such a much more better. She's, she's like, feels more comfortable in her own skin all of a sudden. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, the I think the the ripples analogy or the or the gravitational center analogy. Yeah. 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 I could uh Scott, I could, it was it's tempting t- to talk about all these episodes since the last time we ha- we had you on, but I know we need to stay on 405. I will say I would uh two characters that I occasionally think deserve their own shows are I think Chloe, like every time we have Chloe on, it's she, on in the show she's just mm-hmm. phenomenal her graceful presence and i know so much of that is bound up in the writing uh sure. but she's such this sweet spirit that moves through the the narrative mm-hmm. that it's she's just a joy and then uh i've joked with tony jared is it just cracks me up every time he shows up in the episode it's like just checking in on jared he's still here he's in the <laughs> attic he's selling furbies but uh, let's well, start let's switch know, to no, go ahead. Well, oh, I will say about Jared is the thing about the show is, and this was uh, brought to mind this episode specifically is there's a whole subplot in 405 with Jared that got cut out of the show for time, and um, unfortunately, that's not the only time that happened. And you know, and and on the page in the scripts, Jared had a much larger role in the story not much i mean jared had a larger role in the story and his storyline was um was developed um more and that's just the nature of 44 minutes i mean we're not one of the downsides of being on you know uh i guess basic cable you call it which um is that you have commercials and you have a hard 44 minutes and so you know we had to cut Jared out of this. There's this lovely scene with Jared and Amantha in 405. They got cut out. And, um, uh, you know, and this is a bummer. And uh, so uh, oftentimes that ends up, he ends up being just, you know, the kid who pokes his head in and makes sure, you know, he's still around, like you said. But, um, you know, we, we try but to even in his, serve him. Yeah, even in that limited capacity, that we talked about this, I think it was last week, or maybe week before it still allows these, uh, helpful, um, interesting perspectives on Janet, for example, as a mother, 
like his absence or their disconnect is, you know, Tony said on multiple times, like she's so concerned about Daniel rightfully. So she's uh, obsessed with, you know, trying to get back to him that she's kind of her doesn't have as much attention on Jared, which, right. You know, he's, he seems to be a strong enough character to handle that. I mean, at least that's the way it's come. It's come through. Um, I wonder if we could talk a little bit about, you know, the rest of the time we have, what it was like directing this episode, because there are some scenes in here that are as emotionally fraught as any in the series. And obviously, you know, our our minds go to the scene with Teddy and Tawny. And I just Mm -hmm. wonder what that was so emotional. And I know writing that's probably, you know, there's that communal aspect as you've touched on being in the room and then you go away and you're working on your script. But then to be in the room with everybody and directing that, that had to have been kind of a, it felt like that would have, would have been a tough day. Like that's a, it was a a tough day. It was a tough day. And, um, uh, but we're all, they were all tough days. I mean, we shot each of these episodes in eight days and, um, uh, and well, seven days, mostly we had eight days on this show. We had a lot of the crossover days, which we do a one and the next one. And, um, seven days was usually how much we shot these episodes. And so we're doing 50 pages in seven days and, um, which is crazy. And, uh, that only works when you have fantastic actors and you have a fantastic crew, which we had both. And, um, you know, we had just, and so, you know, and at that point and Clayne and, and Addie, they, you know, they, uh, they knew this was coming. We all knew this was coming and we had talked to them, you know, about it early in the show and or in the season as we were writing and we told them this was going to happen. And, and, um, you know, we got the script to them early enough to where they knew the stuff and, and, um, it's definitely fraught and, you know, and because the, the blocking of the episode, blocking of the scene, you know, there's a lot of movement. So he comes into the door, he walks across, or they, they talk at the door, then they go, when she goes into the kitchen, he comes over, he goes to the window, he comes back, he leaves. There's a lot of blocking. All that to say, it's not, this, the coverage is not very simple. So you have to, we have multiple setups. We have to do a whole setup just at the door in the foyer there when he comes in just for that little small talk about the muffins at the beginning of the episode. You can't even get into the meat of the scene. You know, you have to get through all that stuff first. And you're tempted to kind of cut through that stuff to get to the meat of the scene. But then that scene only works, I think, if you have that awkward beginning where it's like he's got to work up the the nerve to say what he's come to say. The result is, you know, you have all this, you're wasting all this time, not wasting, but you're spending this time trying to establish the scene at the beginning. And you sort of threaten to run out of time. And we did run up against the clock. And as we're getting into the heart of the scene, we're running up against the clock. And that was just, the scene became more complex than, than I really understood in terms of a, from a logistical perspective. And that was tough and that wasn't my best day. Um, but we, because you have a great, two great actors, um, 
you know, they can, they can knock out their sides in a couple of takes and we get to it. Boom. And you don't want to waste them anyways, especially when it's that emotional and when they're both doing this heavy work, you know, Clay's crying and it's like, it's, so it's, it's, it's this, you know, it's, it's a lot. And so you want to respect that. You don't want to tap them out early. You know, you don't want to blow them out in a, in a bunch of wide shots, a bunch of masters that you're not going to use. So you'd have to just, you know, you have to just be delicate, move on as quick as you can, but then, you know, you got to plan your time. And sometimes you realize oh, I haven't planned enough time on the backside or the front half took longer than it should have. Um, than we thought it would. So now we're pushed up against it for the, the heart of the scene and that sucks. And so, you know, it's just, uh, it's tricky, but you know, everyone was so invested crew was the crew was invested in this show more than any I've experienced. And so the crew was on their on, all on point on their best behavior and their, you know, and on this day and, and, um, you know, it was just, uh, it was, I felt fortunate to be there. It's like, I've had those experiences in my life where, you know, sitting at the feet of Hal Holbrook, watching him do these monologues in that evening sun or, or being in this room with Klain and Adelaide when they're do, performing this scene that you've been building four years to, you know? Yeah. And, um, I, I felt very honored to that. And I wanted to, um, to, to be a part of that. And, uh, it's a big responsibility to be directing that, you yeah. know, and then, um, you know, Janet well, me, really getting came... to the, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I was just going to say, getting to Janet, I mean, the, t- the scene with Teddy and Tawny, it, I kind of felt that like it felt special. It felt kind of, mm-hmm. there was something almost sacred to it and his Teddy rising to the occasion because in that, mm-hmm. like you said, in that first moment, you kind of feel like, Oh, here's Teddy being a dick again. And mm-hmm. then you come back and you realize, oh no, he's terrified. Like he's mm-hmm. got to, he's got to do yep. something that, you know, was unimaginable three seasons ago. And so it's really cool to hear you talk about as a director and then th- speaking, you know, thinking about the crew, the sensitivity to that, right. Yep. Of kind of caring for yep. your actor enough to say, we all got to do what we've got to do to the best that we can do it. So we can kind of not protect maybe the wrong word, but just to take care of, of them yeah. because this is such a big moment. Yeah. And the same with, you know, same with Lynn Edwards who plays Bobby Dean, you know, he's got his biggest scene oh, the yeah. whole series in this episode. Um, you know, and Janet and Ted, their whole car ride, which is sort of a, a masterclass in Coleman Herbert dialogue. It's like, you know, it's, it's, you know, you watch Coleman and I, Coleman and I wrote this episode together. And what we do when we wrote up, we wrote two episodes, this one and the next one together. And what we do usually is we, we, we split up storylines and uh, like, so Coleman wrote the Ted Janet storyline and um, I wrote the Teddy Tawny storyline. And I think we divvied up Daniel um, like Daniel at the house, Daniel with Chloe, Dan, you know, whatever. And we divvy those up. So we would sort of just find out. And Coleman, you know, he's got, he had a sort of a, um, he has this gift for these sort of, and you can watch, you know, you see like he wrote the that amazing episode in 207, I guess, you know, uh, Daniel and Trey in Florida, you know, that whole, that's which also has a long car ride, you know, and so, interstate car ride and so he just writes the lovely sort of 
circular dialogue conversations that weave back and forth around ideas and 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 uh, that's sort of a, a master class in that and watching them do that is great and um uh you know and being able to, to be a part of that and then building up to this moment when they get to the house and they meet and she meets all daniel's new friends and and then has that wonderful moment at the end of the episode when she's alone in the bathroom of the hotel, you know, crying, you know, and, and it's, so it's just, um, and of course my favorite moment of the episode, which is when Teddy breaks into his own house and, um, you know, which is, which was one of my favorite things I've ever directed just cause it's fun and it's fun. I mean, clean and I have a good, great relationship in, in, in terms of, way we work together and so that was a lot of fun you know just to be able to like be, get loose for a minute after all this heavy stuff to be able to have a little fun and laugh was was a great source of of relief uh for me so you know i want to circle back to what you said about bobby dean it's yeah. interesting that he should come back okay there uh, i guess maybe you can talk about as writer and director two different kind of peeps we see through the keyhole and the motivation, mm. I guess I'm asking for the motivation of these two minor characters. Why would Bobby Dean show up and, you know, un uh, unburden himself on Teddy and why would Sheriff Carl invite John yeah. over and then, you know, leave him with some evidence that clearly he's, you know, not supposed to share <laughs> with a defense mm -hmm. attorney. Um, yeah. And I get these are, you know, I think this, this is part of the service you guys are probably performing for, for viewers as yeah. you bring the, the whole thing in for landing is like, let's, you know, let's, I don't know, sh shed some light on what happened mm -hmm. the night of the murder. Um, but I already know because we've talked enough that, that it's not going to be totally resolved. So anyways, I'm just at, wondering about these two characters come in and, and kind of give these pivotal of uh, pivotal kind of pieces of information. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, again, it's that, that same idea of like figuring out what we owe the audience. Um, what is that line between um, close enough, but not all the way, you know, if that's going to be a thing, you know, like. And all that, that's not to tease or to be cruel. It is to be, try to be real, I guess. And so many, so many cases like this remain unresolved in the truest sense of the word, you know, like you'll never really know. And, um, or will you, I mean, sometimes you do, but like this one in particular, there's so many, there's so much muddy, there's so, there's so much gray, there's so much unknown and mystery that but there are some things you can know and um these are things you can know is that this is an affidavit that testimony from chris nelms this is bobby dean's memory of george melton and you know it's like everyone has a chance to say what they know and what information they have and and um that might get us to some sort of idea of the truth and um so we're just trying to be real more than anything you know and as much as we can and 
think about how these events affected all these people's lives. And, and, um, so it's also, but it's time, you know, where there's running out of time to do all that stuff. So that stuff has to happen, (laughs) you know, and it's just a matter of finding a way to make it organic and, um, you know, where that character is on their journey, you know, Sheriff Dackett's been, had a beautiful sort of arc through this series of his whole change of demeanor from that first two episodes where he's following. Yeah. First episode when he's following Daniel and, uh, and Amantha, you know, in the car suspicious. And then to now where he's sort of helping and advocating for the truth. Um, beautiful. It's a beautiful arc and Bobby Dean, same thing. I mean, end of episode, end of season one to, to this point here, it's, uh, it's, it's really lovely. And I think that's what makes Rectify special is it, um, it allows these characters to become better versions of themselves. Yeah. It allows them to grow. That's what, that's grace, right? That's grace. And that is, um, a thing that I think the show allows. I don't know of a character in the show uh, off the top of my head now thinking maybe that maybe it's there is, but I don't know a character who, be, well, besides maybe Trey, who becomes a worse version of himself. But even Trey is reckoning with truth in a new way, whether he's willing to admit with it, admit it or not. But I don't, there's no character here who, who just becomes worse and worse, really. I mean, um, and that's that's a beautiful thing. I think it's human. That's a very human and graceful way to approach. And that's all Ray, you know, and, and um, what he allows us to, to do. You know, before we go, I think, you know, Ryan and I both owe you a, a great amount of thanks and gratitude for not yeah, only coming no, on this podcast, but for, for, you know, also hooking us up with some other writers and actors. And, who were on and Tony show. for just, and Tony for kick-ass work. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wanted Gratitude. to say Scott, that we're not, yeah. you know, there's like, you know, we're talking about it cause it's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I want to just say like, okay. So as, as somebody, we, we've already talked about the therapy scenes with Rebecca and mm-hmm. um, with Teddy and Tawny together and with them individually. And as somebody who's been in rooms like that, both as like a, a pastoral counselor and also as the one on the couch, um, mm-hmm. how well and sensitively those were done. And I just, mm-hmm. I thought about this again when I was watching 405 last night, because the scene, you've already discussed it, but the scene with Teddy and Tawny finally deciding that they're going to get divorced. As somebody who's been divorced and been in a room like that, where that decision is being made, it, you know, it, it, it rang true in the writing and the acting and the directing, but you know, the, what, what we see in the car with Ted senior and Janet is more, even more similar to what I experienced because when, when I came to the decision to divorce, it it was not like Teddy and Tawny standing there face to face kind of with mutual empathy and and some respect right. it was much more um it was much <clears throat> more savage and terrible and brutal emotionally but 
how it started was in the car with Ted and Janet and the buildup of resentment. And I'm watching that scene and thinking like, I know when that chasm of resentment has been built to a certain, there's no going back. You can't, you can't recover it. You can't build a bridge over a chasm that deep between two people. And, um, even the way you shot it, man, in, in that car, and you, Janet is kind of like leaning away from Ted. It just mm-hmm. drove me freaking crazy how Ted's hands are always at 10 and 2. I'm like, <laughs> nobody drives like that. But Ted does. He's just like that kind of straightforward, yeah. conservative, simple. He's a pretty simple guy. And Janet's like, what are your dreams and aspirations? And he doesn't, it's like, I, he reminded me of my own dad. Like, he never mm. really dreamed or had he just woke up went to work did his job came home poured a jack daniels watched tv went to bed did the same thing the next day and anyway that's just a rambling monologue about i I get it and i I feel for that i appreciate it and i um but i also know how easy it is for me and how easy it is for a lot of people i think to to judge Ted for that. I certainly do. Cause he reminds me of people in my life too, you know, and my family and, and, um, uh, that I wish sometimes wanted more. Um, but that's, that's not, that's, but, but he is content. The challenge here. And I think what's illustrated beautifully in that just because Janet wants more, Ted's not a bad person for not wanting more. That's the challenge here. And it's, um, you know, and it's, uh, that's the challenge for me as a person who, who, um, wants people in my life to want more for themselves often, you know, as I want for myself, but some people are content to be where they are and that's, that's doesn't make them wrong or bad. And, and that's my big challenge as a, as a human being in this world, as I try to grow, I would also challenge the notion that the chasm is too big. And I certainly would hope there's no chasm too big. Maybe there, maybe it is, but I, I have to, I have to hope that it's not, you know, and uh, because I know that there are chasms in my life like that and, and, um, uh, and with different people and, and um, you never want to think that it's, that's where hope comes from, right? The idea that it's never, never too big, but, but um, yeah. I know everyone has their own experiences, you know, and yeah, it's tough, but I, I, um, that's the beautiful thing that, 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 that whole sequence, that those, those two big car rides with Janet and Ted and, um, you know, and if you're looking, so you're trying to do it, you're, you're it's, it's, you know, it's all in the dialogue and then you do subtle things like you're saying, and there's ways you can frame it and, if you notice, sort of like it's the first scene in the daytime, I'm shooting across. So I'm shooting Ted, his singles, I'm shooting from Janet's side of the car. So like there's the cameras are shooting mm-hmm. across from each other, right? So at angles and I'm shooting Janet. So they're still connected because the point of view is still coming from the other side of the person. Mm-hmm. Then when we get into the second night, when their divide is greater at that nighttime, then I'm shooting straight on, like, and they're short-sighted, mm-hmm. meaning so they're on the, so I'm shooting... I'm off of the other person's side of the car now. And it's, and now I'm just on that person's 
whoever's talking on their side of the car. And so it's a more direct and they're even more sort of cut off from the other person. And it's these subtle ways you can try to do it to sort of uh, uh, exaggerate that, uh, that, that distance as they grow. And you do feel that way with them, you know, and, and um, there's that great line where at the end of that sequence, where she says, you resent me. Um, I forget the I forget the line, but so basically, good. and he says, and I don't blame you for resenting me. Like, um, and and he says, I do resent you. Uh, oh God, I'm gonna blow it now. But basically, he says, I resent you for never. Oh, she says he. She says I resent you, and you and you've in in silence, and you, and basically in, in silence. And I resent you for not thanking me for that, like for, right. for not thanking me <laughs> yeah. for doing it silently, for not overtly resenting right. you, resenting you, right? <laughs> Which is that's that's Coleman Herbert. That's brilliant dialogue, uh-huh. you know, and that's just yeah. a brilliant idea. It's a very truthful human idea, yeah. And um, I've we all experienced. I just you know, it's those subtle things that make the show real and. And um, just glad to be a part of it. I will say mm-hmm. too. I wanted to say I was I was watching it. I the one set. There's always there's always sadness when you have to cut something. But one of my the, my favorite little details ever got cut out of this this um, episode for time. And it's basically Teddy. So after he you know goes to Tawny's and asks for the divorce, he goes to the Talbot house. You know, pops a beer, takes a big old chug, <clears throat> goes over and looks in those tapes. Yeah, <laughs> Daniel's stuff that Jared had that morning. <clears throat> Excuse me, and he finds that that Hannah Dean tape. Mm-hmm. But if you look closely in that box of tapes, a little trivia for you. So down in the box, <laughs> bottom of that box of tapes is a is a driving and crying tape. Do you know the band Driving and Crying? You've heard of those guys? There's no. This, oh, of course. Driving oh, and Crying is yeah. this great okay. Atlanta band. Band out of Atlanta in the eighties, nineties. Um and uh have this song Straight to Hell, which is Honeysuckle Blue, all these great songs. But um and Teddy, and that's a nice little local touch, you know. And uh and what happens is Teddy takes that tape and he puts it in. <laughs> He's drinking beer, he puts the tape in to the stereo at home and he turns it up and he and inside of that box there was also this like dart gun, this like nerf dart gun, and like Teddy um <clears throat> takes the nerf dart gun he's playing like and he's shooting at the at the driving and crying tape like trying to doing target practice across the house and uh that's when bobby dean comes to the door but it's just this like i love those little moments where teddy where you just get to like explore someone by themselves you know moments of with characters by themselves are often my favorite moments and and that was a little, and Teddy danced a little bit around the house. I mean, it was just this, like, he had this burden. He had released this burden. And we tried to, like, you know, show him the rele- the, the feeling of freedom. So he's, like, drinking beer, he's dancing in, in the living room in the middle of the day, listening to Driving and Crime, playing Nerf darts. And uh, and that's just a lovely little moment. And claim was amazing. And and uh, we had to cut it for time. But, you know, it's it's uh, maybe maybe one day in the director's Okay, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, we I, I will say this. Uh, Ryan and I have talked a bit about like um if we if there were like a better call Saul spin-off of Rectify, you know, oh, yeah. I think I, it would be the Teddy show for me. Oh, I'd yeah. like to see the Teddy show. <laughs> Definitely. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. That'd be a lot of fun. 
Scott, this is, uh, well, first off, watching Rectify, being able to uh, walk with it, walk through it, episode one episode a week to sit with it. It's really been uh, uh, th- therapeutics, probably the wrong word, but it's been such a uh, joy, especially this year. And then having you on to talk about it has mm-hmm. certainly been a highlight of the year. So I, I well, on behalf of Tony, myself, I want to thank you for it. taking the time <laughs> and all the good work you're doing, wishing you all the yeah. best uh, with the current and Thanks, future man. projects you have too. So, yeah. Huge. Thank you. And great, just such great work on your, on your show. And uh, I mean, glad we, uh, Ryan and I've never done anything like this before, man. I was just telling my wife while we were walking the dog last night, I'm like, you know, I've watched this show once a week for like 28 straight weeks and I got two to go or something. She's like, dang, that is a commitment. But you know, that this show is like one of the few that bears that kind of commitment and viewing because you guys put such care into the creation of it. I think it, you know, it, it it pays off for the committed viewer. So I really do hope that, you know, it stays on Netflix for a long, long time and people continue to discover it. Yeah. Thank you so much. We, we appreciate it. And, uh, I've talked to some of the folks shared your appreciation and enthusiasm for it. So they're all grateful. So cool. Thanks. Um, Thanks guys. Appreciate it.